of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The word of the Lord. Prayer is a um, universal human experience. And that doesn't mean that everyone in the world prays, but we all have a longing for things like help and guidance. We all have a longing for things like love and connection and belonging. And we all have this impulse to reach out beyond ourselves for these things. Whenever I think about this impulse, I always think about Carl Fredrickson, the old man from the movie Up. Carl met his wife Ellie when they were little kids who shared a love of adventure. And the first time they met, Ellie pins a a grape soda bottle cap badge on him and says, we're in the Explorers Club. They end up sharing a whole life together and eventually Ellie dies, leaving Carl to grow old all by himself. But then on the night before they're about to take him away to the old folks' home, Carl is standing out in front of their house. He's looking at the mailbox that he and Ellie painted together. And he's thinking about the love and the joy that they shared for so many years in their home together. He's feeling lost. He's feeling afraid and alone and abandoned. Without even thinking about it, he's looking at the box and he just says, Oh, Ellie, what do I do now? She's dead. She's not there. And yet he has this impulse to reach out beyond himself. And so throughout the rest of the movie, every time he's facing a big decision, whether it's trying to figure out whether he should help an awkward little boy scout named Russell or rescue an exotic bird named Kevin, every time he feels lost, he reaches out beyond himself. He says, oh, Ellie, what do I do now? What do I do now, Ellie? We all have this impulse to reach out for help and guidance and a connection with something beyond ourselves. Now, we could psychologize that impulse and say, well, it's just a coping mechanism. But what if that impulse is there because there really is something or someone out there to reach out to? What does that look like? How would we do that? How do we pray? We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest and most famous teaching of Jesus in the Bible. And right now, we have literally arrived at the center of the sermon. And right here at the center, what do we find? Prayer. Friends, that's not an accident. The Sermon on the Mount is all about what what is a life of fullness, of goodness, of beauty and wholeness? What does that life look like? The Sermon on the Mount shows us, and right at the center of that life is prayer. In fact, it's the most famous prayer of all. It's called the Lord's Prayer. 
If it's that important to Jesus, it's worth taking an extended look at. So over the next handful of weeks, we're going to go through this prayer line by line. And this morning, we start with that first phrase, Our Father in heaven. Jesus is showing us something incredibly important that shapes the way we pray. In fact, here's this morning's big lesson. We won't know how to pray unless we know to whom we pray. We won't know how to pray unless we know to whom we pray. Who is this God we pray to? Well, let's find out by looking at this first phrase, and we're going to go through it backwards. In other words, we're going to see this. Because God is in heaven, it gives us a new meaning. Because God is Father, that gives us a new relationship. And because God is our Father, that gives us a new belonging. A new meaning, a new relationship, and a new belonging. Okay? First, Jesus gives us a new meaning. He says that prayer begins by naming the person that we're talking to. You know, whenever you're beginning a conversation, you usually say that person's name first. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Susie. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. And the kind of conversation you have with them depends on the person you're talking to. In other words, you talk to your mom or your dad differently than you talk to Johnny or Susie. We won't know how to pray unless we know to whom we pray. So who is this God? Well, first, Jesus says that this God is in heaven. Now, just that phrase means way more than we could possibly talk about in one morning. But one of the main things is this. There are many religious and spiritual traditions out there that say that God is in all things and that all things are God. It's kind of like the force in Star Wars, this idea that God is, um, inhabits and dwells all things. Uh, that, that idea says that, that, um, that God is not distinct from creation, that, that God and creation are the same thing. When Jesus says that God is in heaven, he's saying, oh, but there is a distinction. You guys are all smart people. Are you up for a little theology this morning? In theology, there are two main ways of thinking about God. One is to say that God is imminent. And that doesn't mean I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T, which means something's about to happen. Imminent is a theological word, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T. Imminent means within this world. Um, the other way of talking about God is to say that God is transcendent. Now, transcendent is a big word that simply means beyond this world. Um, transcendent means beyond this world. Imminent means within this world. When Jesus says that God is in heaven, he's pointing to the transcendence of God. Now, um, as far as I've ever been able to discover, only the Bible shows us a God who is both transcendent and imminent. That is, he's both beyond this world and within this world. And we're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But this morning, as I just said, when Jesus says that God is in heaven, he's pointing to the transcendence of God. He's saying that God is bigger than ourselves. He's bigger than this world. Here's why this is so important for us. 500 years ago, it was virtually impossible not to believe in God. But over the past 500 years, that has changed dramatically. So um, uh, nowadays, um, not only is belief in God just one of many options, uh, but so is not believing in God. One of the main results of this loss of belief in God is a loss of meaning in the world. 
Because if there is no God, if this world is all there is, then by definition, there is no real meaning. There's no ultimate meaning. So especially over the last 150 years, uh, many sociologists and psychologists and historians and cultural commentators have all pointed out that this loss of belief in God has resulted in a loss of meaning in our world. But they also point out that we human beings can't live without meaning. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we create it for ourselves. If there is no real ultimate meaning out there beyond ourselves, then the only other option is, is to find meaning in here, inside of ourselves. So for instance, Steven Pinker is a famous psychologist. He's written many influential books. In his most recent book, he says this, Though no mortal can stipulate what really makes a life meaningful, psychologists probed for what makes people feel their lives are meaningful. What he's saying is real meaning doesn't exist. The only way real meaning could exist, notice how he puts it, is if there was something beyond mortal human beings. And he doesn't believe that. So he says that meaning is not real. It's only something we feel. Now here's the thing about this. Even if you do believe in a God who is transcendent, we live in a world and a culture that has trained us to say that meaning can only be found inside of ourselves. You know what that does to us? That creates enormous anxiety inside of us. That puts a tremendous burden on us because not only do we live in an increasingly anxious and depressed, lonely and addicted world, we also live in a world that says meaning can only be found inside of ourselves. Here's the question. Is it possible that there's a link between those two things? Jesus is inviting us to explore the possibility that the answer to that question is yes. Even more than that, Jesus is inviting us into the presence of the God who is there, into the presence of the God who is bigger than ourselves beyond this world. So when we actually come to prayer, if you look at the structure of this prayer, you see that Jesus says that we spend basically half the prayer, not focusing on ourselves, but focusing on God, centering on God, praising, adoring, and worshiping God. It isn't until halfway through this prayer that we actually get to our own list of personal needs. Friends, that is not a coincidence. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City. He tells the story about how once he was preaching through the Lord's Prayer and he told his congregation that adoring God for who he is comes before asking God for what we need. He says that a couple of weeks later, a woman in his congregation came to him and she said, you know, whenever I pray, I always used to begin with my list of needs. I always used to begin with my problems and with my needs, but the more I prayed about my problems and my needs, the more anxious I became, the more burdened I came. But since I heard what Jesus said about this, now when I pray, I've begun by adoring God, by praising God. I've begun by thinking about God, about how good and wise and gracious he is. Now, when I come to God with my list of needs, I find that I'm able to put them in his hands. I find the burden coming off me rather than on me. Friends, prayer begins by taking the focus off of ourselves and refocusing, recentering on God, the God who is beyond ourselves. When we do that, that begins to roll away the anxiety and the burdens. Jesus is showing us, first of all, that because God is in heaven, that gives us a new meaning. But secondly, Jesus also shows us 
a new relationship. Because not only is Jesus saying that we pray to a God who is transcendent, a God who is in heaven, he's also saying that we pray to a God who is Father. Now, as soon as we say that word, that brings up a lot of pain for a lot of us. Many of you have had complicated relationships with your fathers. Some of you may have experienced abuse and trauma from your father. And some of you may never have known your father at all. There's so much pain in so many of our lives connected to the wounds we experienced at the hands of our earthly fathers. So why in the world would Jesus say that we should relate to God as a father? That's a fair question. Here's the beginning of an answer. Uh, So much of the pain we experience in our lives that's connected to the wounds that we experienced from our fathers, that comes because we know in our hearts what a good father is supposed to be. We wouldn't experience that kind of pain in our lives if, if we didn't have some idea of what a good father really is, but we never had. God is the father we never had. When Jesus says, call God our father, he's not doing that to exacerbate our pain or perpetuate our pain, but to bring healing to our pain. Because here's the really tragic thing. If we ignore our need of a good father, if we simply pretend that our pain and our wounds aren't there, not only does that mean that that our wounds will never be healed, it also means that we um, will be led into an increasingly dysfunctional relationship with God. You know, there are two main kinds of relationships we can have in this world. The first is what we could call a transactional relationship. A transactional relationship is the kind of relationship you have with your mechanic or your grocer or your dog groomer. Uh, The basis of a transactional relationship is I do this for you, you do this for me. In other words, transactional relationships are conditional relationships. As long as that person is providing you with a good service or a good product, then you remain in the relationship. But if they blow it, or if you find a better deal somewhere else, you're out of there, right? Transactional relationships are conditional relationships. But the other kind of relationship we can have is what's called a family relationship. The basis of a family relationship is not you performing a service or you fulfilling some contractual obligation. The basis of a family relationship is unconditional love. That is a completely different kind of relationship. What happens when we turn family relationships, when we twist those relationships into a transactional relationship? David Brooks wrote a really interesting opinion piece for the New York Times a few years ago in which he talks about the increasing pressure that parents are putting on their children. Listen to what he says. He writes, parents are more anxious about their kids getting into good colleges and onto good career paths. Parents shower their kids with affection, but it is not simply, I love you. It is, I love you when you stay on my balance beam. Children in such families come to feel that childhood is a performance, that love is not something they deserve because of who they are, but is something they have to earn. This generates enormous internal pressure, the assumption that it is necessary to behave in a certain way to be worthy of love. The shadowy presence of conditional love produces the fear that there is no utterly safe love. You know, you read that and you realize this isn't just kids, is it? This is all of us. 
We all experience this. We all feel the pressure to perform for the love we need. We all feel the shadowy presence of conditional love in our lives. If we bring that into our relationship with God, that poisons our relationship. We'll never feel safe. We'll never feel secure. We'll always be afraid of blowing it. And on top of that, if we do perform, if we do obey and live up to the standards, then we're going to feel like God owes us. And we're going to be angry whenever God doesn't give us the things that we pray for. We've turned a family relationship into a transactional relationship. If we treat God like that, then we'll never feel secure. We'll never feel safe. And on top of that, we're always going to be angry when life doesn't go the way we want it. Friends, Jesus is saying God is not like that. Don't go to God as a boss or a vendor or a contractor. Go to God as Father because that's who he is. So if you're exploring faith or spirituality this morning, maybe you've seen religious people who treat God like a boss. They're always anxious. They're always angry. Jesus is saying, you're right to be turned off by that. Traditional religion treats God like a boss, like an employer. But through the gospel, Jesus is offering you a relationship with God as father. It's a relationship that's not based on your performance. It's based on God's unconditional love. Can you imagine what your life would be like if you had that in your life? There would be a security and a confidence and a joy in your life. There would be less anxiety, less anger, less guilt, less pride, less judgment on others, less imprecations upon others. Friends, that raises a huge question. How does that love come into our lives? Well, that leads to our last point. Jesus has showed us a new meaning. He's just showed us a new relationship. But lastly, Jesus shows us a new belonging. Because um, not only does Jesus say, he doesn't say pray Father in heaven. He doesn't even say pray my Father in heaven. Jesus says that we should pray our Father in heaven. When Jesus says our Father, he's saying that, um, that every human being has equal access to God regardless of things like our social class or economic status or our ethnicity. In other words, thousands of years before our modern idea of human equality, Jesus was already saying that every human being is equally valuable to God and has equal access to God, which we probably all really like that because it sounds so progressive and enlightened and egalitarian, and it is. But it also really challenges us, and here's why. Not only do we live in a world that says every human being is equal, we also live in a world and a culture that says every human being is free. We live in a world that says we belong to ourselves. So for instance, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Invictus. It's about that South African soccer team and Morgan Freeman plays Nelson Mandela. The title of that movie comes from a very famous poem. And the most famous line in that poem says this, I am the master of my fate. I am the presence, uh, the captain of my soul. In other words, we belong to ourselves. If we come to God, if and when we come to God, we bring that attitude, then what we're doing is we're coming to God. In essence, we're coming as free agents. We're saying we belong to ourselves. There's always going to be strings attached. Do you see how that turns all of our relationships into transactional relationships? 
a family relationship, a relationship that's based on unconditional love, that only works if everyone in the relationship says, I don't belong to myself, I belong to you. When Jesus says, pray, our Father, He's saying not only are all human beings equal before God, he's also saying that we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to God. Which again, just brings us back to the same question we've been asking. How does that happen? Listen, if God is Father, that means that our relationship to him isn't based on our performance, our goodness, our virtue, our political righteousness. And if God is Our father, that means that our relationship to him isn't based on our social class or our economic status or ethnicity or any other social factor that tends to divide us as human beings. So if our relationship to God isn't based on any of those things, then what is it based on? When Jesus says to pray, our father, you realize that the only way that we can call God our father is because God is first and foremost Jesus's father. When Jesus began his public ministry, one of the first things that happened is he was baptized. And when he came up out of the water, a voice came out of heaven, the voice of God that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ is the one and only true son of God eternally begotten of the Father, eternally beloved of the Father, and eternally belonging to the Father in self-giving love, just as the Father eternally belongs to the Son in self-giving love. Friends, when Jesus says to call God our Father, do you now see what he's really showing us? Jesus isn't just showing the Father's love. Jesus is sharing the Father's love. He's he's not just showing us a love that's available. He's sharing a love that's his and only his and that he gives us to by virtue of his relationship with the Father. In other words, the only way we can really come into a relationship with God as Father is on Jesus's coattails. You know, whenever we think that we belong to ourselves, Whenever we get mad at God for not giving us the things that we pray for, whenever we think that God owes us because, well, I've been a good person, then we're not treating God as Father. We're treating Him as a boss. We're not praising and adoring and worshiping God for the love that He gives us. We're scorning and rejecting Him because we feel like He's withholding our wages. Friends, the only way that changes is to see that on the cross, Jesus Christ, the one and only true Son of God, was rejected by the Father so that we could be received and accepted by the Father. The only way it changes is to see that on the cross, Jesus Christ lost the belonging he always had so that we could receive the belonging we desperately need. Still, to me, by far one of the most chilling and powerful illustrations of this is a video called The Still, Life, uh, the Still Face Experiment. You can watch it on YouTube. It's a study that was done on the bonding that happens between babies and their mothers. And in the video, you see a, a, a little baby girl and her mother. And even though the little baby girl can't talk, you can see that they have their own special language with each other. The games, the rituals, the facial expressions, they are totally connected. But then the mother turns her face away, and when she turns her face back, her face goes blank, no expression. And at first, the baby girl is just kind of confused, like, hey, come on, why aren't you playing along? You know how this goes. 
But then she starts to get more agitated because the mom's not responding to her and she's trying to reach out and getting the mother to engage, but there's no expression, blank face from the mother. Until eventually the little girl gets so distressed that she just starts crying uncontrollably. It's heartbreaking to watch. I I still can't watch it without weeping myself. Friends, don't you know that on the cross, Jesus Christ got a lot more than a blank face from the Father? Jesus Christ lost the Father's face completely. He lost the Father's love completely. Jesus suffered the consequences of what we actually do so that we could receive the belonging that he always had. We will never know how to pray unless we know to whom we pray. Friends, Jesus is inviting us to, that when we go to God in prayer, we're coming to a Father who loves us, not on the basis of anything we do, but on the basis of what Jesus has already done for us. Do you want to be free from anxiety? Do you want to be free of your burdens and your cares and your worries? We're going to see as we go throughout this prayer that Jesus does invite us to bring our worries and our cares and our burdens to God in prayer. But he says, before we do that, we we spend time refocusing and recentering on God. That we spend time worshiping and adoring and, and praising God for his beauty, his glory, his goodness, his grace in our lives. That we spend time thanking God for who he is and what he's done for us through Jesus By the time we actually get to our list of needs, we find ourselves saying, why was I so anxious about that? Why was I so upset and worried about that? I have a father in heaven who loves me and cares for me more than anything I could ever imagine. Our father in heaven. It's the entryway to prayer and the foundation of a relationship that will sustain you through anything. Do you have this new meaning, this new relationship, and this new belonging? It's yours through Jesus. Go get it from him, receive it from him, and find the love and the connection you're always longing for. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you for your beauty. We adore you for your glory. We gaze upon your beauty, your righteousness, your holiness, and we praise you, Abba Father, this morning, for you are the God of wonders, the God who is beyond this world, the God who is greater than all things, and by whose existence only this world and our lives within this world have meaning, real and ultimate meaning. Father, we pray that as we gaze upon you, that we would uh, refocus, recenter ourselves on you. And that as we do that, Lord, as we gaze upon your wonders and your glories, that that our worries and our burdens would grow lesser and smaller. And we pray that we would more and more deeply enter into the relationship that you offer us, the belonging that you give to us through Jesus and his work for us on the cross. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.